Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lenrace, Nathan Baird here. Stephen Beans uh, has a family thing he's dealing with. Everything's, you know, he's he's going to be back as normal. I don't want anyone thinking if he hasn't been here for a couple of days, there are any issues or anything. He's just, we'll be back for the Wednesday pod and down the line. Um, and we will uh, be glad to have him back. So Doug and Nathan on this Tuesday Buckeye Talk, five days a week. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. I do wonder sometimes, Nathan, do you think people legitimately are listening to every one of these stinking episodes or are people picking and choosing, do you think? Oh, I think we have some very loyal listeners. I think the um, I, I, I have definitely podcasts, and I've actually noticed recently that some of mine have really dropped off. So I kind of feel like I've been missing things. I go to look for my next podcast to listen to as I try to fall asleep or in the morning, and they're kind of been missing. They haven't been haven't been regularly there. So I'm sure there's people who follow every single one, or there's people who just want the they they bring us up and they hit the latest one or they hit the one that looks like the most uh, interesting. So um, I like to be able I like to think that we provide a service for various levels of Ohio State sports fandom. What I hope we're doing is crowding out the other Ohio State podcasts in our <laughs> listeners' lives. It like, well, I used to listen to Buckeye Talk and a couple other Ohio State podcasts, but now I only have time to listen to Buckeye Talk. You know, that's not the goal. But if it happens, it happens. I apologize. It's Tuesday. No, what day is it? He, yeah, he doesn't Tuesday. apologize. I don't apologize. I say disingenuous stuff on this podcast so often, it's unbelievable. I want to talk about The Last Dance because I covered the Bulls during the time period that they're doing this documentary on. And so I'm watching the thing on Sunday night, and all I'm doing is seeing if my elbow is on it. But we have a lot to talk about on this actual podcast because Ohio State has another recruit that we're going to talk about. And we have an interview with Trevon Logan, who is a professor at Ohio State, who did a study that tried to figure out how much a five-star recruit like Justin Fields is actually worth to a football program. So we're going to get to that. And I might have to save my last dance thoughts for the Wednesday pod. Nathan, do you think you or, peop- or any other people are interested in my thoughts of what it was like to be a 23- and 24-year-old clueless young sports writer covering the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls? Or am only I myself interested in that? Oh, I think you probably have some interesting insight, especially because you were coming in at the very end of it, right? Because I, I used to work at the Chicago Tribune in a, in a small capacity. I was a part-timer when I was going to college. And I 
met and talked with like multiple guys on that team who were covering them in like 1984, 1985, like right when that thing was getting off the ground, back when the Bulls actually weren't very good before Michael Jordan got there. So I, I, I am interested in kind of the latter day experience of that as it was kind of having the last hurrah. So I covered them. I took over during their fifth title. Um, the excellent beat writer we had left for a better job. And so they had to give it to somebody and they gave it to me, uh, thankfully. So I covered like the flu game in Utah and the, the second half of the fifth title. And then I covered the entire off season between title five and title six, which this Michael Jordan last dance documentary covered a lot because there was a lot of consternation. Um, I was, I very vividly remember being there when Jerry Krause said the quote, the quote about organizations win, not just players. Um, and I think I put it in the 15th paragraph of my story because I was so stupid and dumb about <laughs> what I did. Um, I'm going back. I'm like, I have a tub of old clips and I like pulled the old clips out, but I want to go read some more of them. But then I left for a new job in May of 98 as they were getting ready to like start the playoffs or maybe in the middle of the playoffs to finish off the sixth title. I decided to leave and go to the East Coast and cover the Philadelphia Phillies. So that's how smart I am with my career choices. Um, we'll talk about it maybe later. But first, we want to get to this recruit. Uh, we're recording this on uh, on Monday. Nathan, number 17 in the class of 2021. Who's the latest commit to Ohio State? His name is Jansen Dunn. He is, as you said, an, a four-star athlete from Bowling Green, Kentucky, South Warren High School. It's a high school that's um, produced some other Big Ten talent. I know C.J. Hayes that's at Michigan State, the wide receiver right now, and there's some other guys that I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, it's interesting because they haven't had a signee out of Kentucky in a while, and this is a class where they've gone after Kentucky guys a little bit heavier. He's the first one that's committed. Um, um, Listed as an athlete. But everyone projecting him to be a defensive back at the next level, which makes sense. I don't know that Ohio State would be going after him necessarily if he were um, looking to be a wide receiver, just considering the talent they were kind of piling up right there. But an interesting long-term prospect, I think, a defensive back, 6'2", about 180, runs about a 4'5", right now. But you look at some of his other accomplishments in, in athletics, you know, jumping about a 22-foot long jump. Um, good, broad, good other like vertical um, measurements that we've seen online. Um, so obviously just a kind of a, a very, uh, I don't want to say raw, just like pure athlete here, someone that Kerry Combs can work with, uh, another versatile body potentially to add to this class, because obviously with this secondary and what they're doing right now, you only need one starting safety at a time, you need three starting cornerbacks. It's kind of interesting how that might fit together any given year as they start bringing in more and more guys. So, I, you know, the interesting part of all this, and this is what happens when, you, when you're when recruiting at this level this early. They're at 17 um, for the class of 2021, still far and away the number one class in the country. But, like, it's, it's getting tight, man. Like, it is getting tight. You know, six, seven, right? More spots probably left in this class. Yeah. Um, Jansen Dunn, I've been told, is their, their Ohio State views him probably as a safety right now. Maybe a right. corner. They'll figure it out. But assume he's a safety – and especially in the defensive backfield with the way Kerry Combs is recruiting, I, I think, I mean, other people have reported this and written this, and it seems right that Jalen Johnson it really is a linebacker. He's listed as a defensive back in this class, but he's 6'1", 205, listed as a safety. But I think we should be thinking of him as more like a Court Williams, you know, again, right. magic B word kind of recruit, so that that would then make Dunn the fourth defensive back in this class rather than the fifth, because really Jalen Johnson is more like a linebacker, right? 
Yeah, and it's it's a difficult thing for us, I think, sometimes. If you think of what you just said, it took like 20 seconds to say that. That's sometimes a hard thing to put in a headline or even like try to concisely um, mention in passing in a recruiting article. So and, as I've texted to people today and as I have written about today, I've, I've tried to leave that caveat in there, that depending on what his position is long term. But I'm also – um, hesitant to use bullet until I see Ohio state actually commit to the bullet right now. It still seems like almost this nebulous thing that's out there. Like, well, this guy could be one of three positions. We'll see. Um, I think it's more just about bringing in an athlete that you feel is versatile enough to potentially help you at multiple spots or help the defense in some way. But as you recruit guys and you get a type of player, it affects the type of players that you still want to add in other places. Right? So, I mean, it's like, they don't, if they're thinking of of Johnson, of Jalen Johnson as more of an outside linebacker, whatever the bullet, the hell, I hate it. I hate it. I blame Greg Madison for this, just for the the terminology. It's just an outside linebacker. It's an outside linebacker who can cover. So, like, if that's what Court Williams is going to be and they're going to recruit to that, then this kid is that, and we're not thinking about him as a deep safety. We're not thinking about Johnson as a deep safety. We are thinking about Dunn probably as a deep safety, and then three other guys – in Smith, Jaquela Johnson, and Turrentine, who are probably um, corners in this class. So my point is, it's just getting da- it's getting a little tight in the defensive backfield. And like, if you're down to like maybe a guy like Tony Grimes, right, or or another like another five star that you really want, they are getting to the point in the defensive backfield, Nathan where they're going to have to there's there are some guys who are interested in Ohio State that are probably at this point are not going to be in the class cuz they're going to be out of space at that position. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially even just looking at safety, I mean if 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 Josh Proctor returns for his senior year and and everybody else returns, I mean you're starting to get in a, a real glut of talent just at the safety position where again they only use one guaranteed starter in a given year. So, um just for the fall of 2021. So, um and it's all young. I mean, Proctor would be the only senior also in that scenario. So, yeah, that's interesting to me how that, that plays out in the long run. Again, I think it is – what you're saying is true, that it does affect who you can bring in somewhere else. But also that tells me they're, they're not taking a commitment from this guy probably in April if they are really down to really specialized numbers at certain other positions where this would prohibit them from taking someone. So, as they, you know, I know they say this all tends to work out. They can take – to a certain extent, the guys that they need and they'll figure it out on the back end. Um, but that's not true. There's, there's a number at which that stops being true. How close we are to that number. I'm not sure yet. I mean, I think at this point, it's fair to say if you are a take for Ohio state at this point, they really like you because there are some other five-star guys they're involved with. You can't count those guys until they're in. Um, but they've got to leave some room for some of them. Like you have to leave room for Tony Grimes. You have to leave that possibility open that you can get the number one cornerback in the country. And again, Dunn's probably more like a safety guy, but also a lot of this stuff, a guy can maybe project at safety, maybe at corner. You can always move a corner to safety. Sometimes it's harder to move a safety to corner, right? I mean, it's a little right. enough of a different skill set. Um, they are definitely recruiting to that out, outside linebacker spot before where they're not trying to turn a guy like Brendan White into that. They're recruiting to that. So we have to account for that. But, like, whatever this guy's ranking is, and, again, I mean, for this class, it's, it's like, not super high. He's number 248 in the um, 247 rankings. And, again, 17 guys in, the, in this class 
And I think there's 11 in the top 100 plus two other guys. There's 13 in the top 135. So, you know, Dunn is one of the, he's one of the four lowest rated guys in the class. But if they did not really like him, they would not make room for him right now when you have these other possibilities on the board. So there's something about his athletic profile and his projection that Ohio State must be in love with. Yeah, athletes, I think, sometimes tend to um, trend a little bit lower on the recruiting rankings, right? The people who are classified as athletes, I think sometimes if you're not dialed into a certain position, I think sometimes that those guys tend to or, – or maybe by the time they're at an elite recruit, they've been assigned a position. I'm not sure. Chicken before the egg kind of thing. But, no, I think you're right. I think it also may say something about how – Ohio State staff looks at the rest of this class too. I mean, who they have coming back, who they will have for 2021, and how those pieces fit together. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. All right, so the Wednesday pod is probably going to be um, sort of ranking Ohio State's best assistant coaches. For the tech subscribers, um, I ranked all 35 assistant coaches that I have covered in my 15 years here and sent those out to our tech subscribers. I'll probably reveal my top 10. I'll tell you who I think is good. I'm not going to tell you who I thought was bad. Well, you know who I thought was bad. I'm just not going to rank them on a podcast. But we'll reveal my top 10 in the Wednesday pod. We'll get our texter, uh, tech subscribers involved in the assistant coaches. They uh, really valued the most at Ohio State in recent times. Um, We'll talk about what makes a great assistant coach. But, like, if you want to be part of that conversation and if you want to get, like, that inside info ahead of time, it's a 14-day free trial. It'll be a friend of the pod. Send a text to 614-350-3315. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. It's kind of a weird time, but we're going to keep sending information there, uh, keep you guys updated on what's going on with the Ohio State Buckeyes, with their recruiting, with their history, with what we think about current players and coaches. We'd love to have you. Um, just try it, right? It's a little weird sort of to wrap your head around sometimes, but like most many things in life, if you try it, you might like it. So um, we'll be back with our interview with Trevon Logan, an Ohio State athletic professor, trying to put a number on the value that Ohio State football players and big-time college football players and big-time recruits around the country, how much are they really worth to a football program? He just released a paper on that. He will be our guest next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're happy to be joined on Buckeye Talk by Trevon Logan. He is an economics professor at Ohio State, the associate dean. Um, which college are the associate dean of? God, I'm such a good journalist. Arts and sciences. Arts and sciences. I don't even know where economics is. We're just dumb sports writers. So you're going to have to dumb it down for us um, with your explanation here. But as we get into this, we're, we've kind of explained to our listeners why we're talking about this. Why did you want to do this study? What what made you interested in this? Yeah, so this really came out of a growth of a project that I was working on uh, with Stephen Bergman, who is my co-author on this project as well, where we first want to look at the relationship between recruit quality and on-the-field performance. And that question sort of always sat in the back of our heads because uh, people will always ask questions like, you know, Ohio State gets in these recruiting battles year after year after year. And does it really matter uh, if Ohio State wins a particular recruiting battle or not? Would it really affect the team year to year? Certainly, if you don't get any good players, you're not going to be a very good team. But on average, Ohio State's going to get more good players than not so good players. That might not have an effect. So the first project was really looking at whether or not landing that prized recruit really does translate into more wins, 
higher likelihood of making a bowl game, higher likelihood of making a prestigious bowl game than before. And then when we realized that there was the financial data that is specific to each university and to each sport, we could also look to see if these players who have different qualities and different ranked qualities coming out of high school also have and should have different revenue impacts on their uh, university's football operations. So is the basic math here, good recruits equals good football teams, good football team equals making money. And, and then you assign a value. Yeah, it, 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 it is really kind of that simple. Now, I think when you first say that, people would say, that's probably the simplest thing I could think of. I didn't need a study to tell me that. But what we wanted to take account of were a couple of things that I think are really important. And when you empirically try to you know, tease this out, you have to take into account. The first is that when you think about the recruiting landscape, it's not the case that the five-star recruit is thinking about, am I going to Ohio State? Am I going to Michigan? Or am I going to Youngstown State? That's not the recruiting space that they're operating in. And the prize recruits are thinking about really a handful of prestigious programs that they're really trying to think about. The other aspect is that recruiting is largely regional. So you think about some of the prize recruits that we have here in the Midwest, those kids are very likely to go to a school in the Big Ten. Someone coming out of uh, the South is very, very likely um, to go to a school in the SEC. Um, Texas, for a long time, had a really good reputation of trying to keep the best talent in the state, right, if you have a talent-rich state. So you want to take into account these sort of conference effects that are there. And it's important to understand that those conference effects have financial implications. A lot of the revenue that these teams bring in in terms of football is shared revenue. When the Big Ten signs a big agreement with a major media company to cover all of these games on television, that money is evenly divided among all the teams in the conference. So you can't use that money and think about that being due to any specific recruit because it's just the money that comes into the entire conference that's distributed around all of the programs there. So when you do this financially, what you really have to do is you have to be very specific and nuanced in the data. And you have to account for what we call in the paper and what economists call more broadly fixed effects. And what a fixed effect uh, is, the basic way I can try to explain this, and this is not to disparage any other team in, in the Big Ten. but You could disparage them if you want. That's all right. But I'm about obviously off. never heard this podcast because Doug disparages the rest of the Big Ten on a episode by episode, if not minute by minute basis. I, 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 I want to be a politician, but I'm going to be a patriot here for a moment. <laughs> um, it would really be a very odd day if Indiana University was a better football program than Ohio State, right? Ohio State's a good football program because they have a legacy of being a good football program. And that legacy of being a good football program gives you benefits when you walk into a recruit's living room and talk about what they're going to experience as a member of the Ohio State Buckeyes versus what they would experience as an Indiana Hoosier. And so that's a very specific effect to Ohio State. We also have to account for the fact that year after year, Ohio State gets better recruits on average than Indiana. So in the data, what we actually estimated uh, using these fixed effects is what happens to Ohio State's revenues when Ohio State has one additional five-star recruit 
than what they usually are able to recruit? And what's the impact on Ohio State's revenues? That's the fixed effects estimate. And that's the closest that we're going to get at really something that can tell us that it's attributable to that five-star recruit and not just some effect of Ohio State being a really big and prosperous football program that generates a lot of revenue. Nathan, you want to jump in with something? Yeah, Trevon, uh, I, I saw the, the release that sort of announced this last week, and I, it said that one of the partial impetus for this was helping to sort of quantify in, in this age of the debate about player compensation what a player's worth. Can you talk about the, the correlation between that question and the research that you guys did? And then on top of that, what, how these results can help inform that debate going forward. Yeah, thanks for that question. I think that's a really important part is, you know, what can you say about player compensation given these results, et cetera, et cetera. So let me first state for the record that I don't have a firm opinion about uh, player compensation. I really don't. And I've heard a lot of good arguments, both pro and con about that. A couple of years ago um, at the Sports and Society Initiative here at Ohio State, uh, where I work with Nicole Kraft, who is just amazing sports journalist, um, we had a panel on paying student athletes. And in that panel, we brought together some economists, we brought together um, some former Buckeyes, and we asked them about player compensation. There were a couple of things that really struck me from that conversation that I think are important to these results here. The first is when we asked the people who were big proponents of paying student athletes, how much should you pay them? They had no response. Right. And, and that was really interesting to me because it's easy to talk in the abstract about paying players and compensating players for their labor. It's much more difficult to say what they should be paid. And it was actually the players themselves, the former Buckeyes, who unanimously said that they did not want to be paid. That was the most shocking thing that I took away from that experience. But they said paying them in the locker room would create some problems in college football that would not be present in the NFL. And I don't know how they were thinking about that, but it got me to thinking about the fact that it would be really odd if every player on a football team was receiving the same pay. That would just be really strange. It'd be the strange it'd be strange in any business that every employee would have the same wage. You mean like you mean like how it is now? How they are all getting the same pay, which is zero? Zero, yeah. They're all, and yeah. so this is very important. They're all getting the same compensation now, which is the value of their scholarship, right? Right. And the issue then, and this is why we focus on the revenue side in this, is that they would have very different effects on revenue via their effects on winning, going to major bowl games, et cetera. That's going to have a revenue effect on a program. But the expenses per student athlete are actually the same, right? The scholarship is the same. They're eating the same food. I mean, maybe some of them eat a little bit more, but it's not going to come out in um, a huge way in terms of what the expenses are. They have the same trainers, et cetera. So the expenses per student are the same. But that's also true in the NFL when you really think about expenses for professional uh, football players. What really is different is the revenue that they would bring into a franchise, which is related to their productivity. And so these players shouldn't all be paid the same. And how would that work in the psyche of a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old? How would that actually have an uh, in, in effect? I, I don't know. And um, But the one thing that we needed to have was we needed to make sure that we could think about how to relate individual players to the revenue that they bring in to inform this debate about the fact that if you're going to pay players, 
it probably would not be a system where you pay them all the same, uh, give them all the same compensation. And everybody says, oh, well, you know, we'll work it out in the NCAA and we'll make sure that they have uniform compensation. Even if you did that, the cost of living is going to be a big difference. You guys know from covering professional sports that players like living in states that don't have state taxes and don't like living in states that do have state taxes because this affects the amount of money that they get to take home. There also are the effects of different cost of living. If you're going to be a player and have a level of compensation in UCLA, that's going to get you a very different apartment in California than it's going to get you uh, in Ames, Iowa. And so we have to think about how we would calibrate that compensation even to account for that. So all of that tells us that we can't work in a uniform way. And then we have to take it back to what is fundamentally a question about how the business model operates, which is that successful teams should have the greatest revenue. And the reason you're recruiting these players is to have success, which gives you financial resources to invest in further success. Hey, tell Nicole Kraft next time she's having a panel to invite me because I got concrete ideas. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how to pay them. <laughs> well, I got we'll real plans. We are always happy to have you. We'd love to have you down for a huddle. We just had Kirk Herbstreet. Um, we just had Clark Kellogg. And, uh, Kirk now we'll have you. <laughs> Clark Kellogg. Uh, Herbie. I, got, I know more than Herbie. Um, I'm kidding, but I'm also not kidding. So here, here's where I think – here's two things on this. One – um, and I don't want to get bogged on stuff. There's like the cost of attendance issue, which college programs are already doing. Already, they already account for cost of yeah. living and that one college might give you 3,500, but another college, whether you're at it, you know, might give you 5,000. So all of that's already factored into some degree. Here's what I think, what I, and this is a never ending debate and we could do a nine hour podcast on this. It seems to me that if you are not having an opinion on whether or how players should be compensated or whether they should be compensated more than now, was the goal of this to inform the discussion of that to a greater level, that you wanted to add another piece of the pie to say, as you think about this, which is complicated and more complicated than people make it out a lot of times, here is another thing to think about. Is that why you wanted to do this? Yes, I think the, the first thing was to bring some hard numbers to this about what these revenue effects are of players and what that would mean in terms of their compensation if we were going to go in that direction. And then the second, and this is outside of the paper itself, but I'm hoping that these numbers generate a discussion, a broader discussion. If we start playing, paying players $200,000 a year, you know, $300,000 a year, depending on their quality and, and their impact on wins, that is going to have dramatic effects on what happens in college football in two particular ways. The first, of course, is that revenue generating sports fuel and fund the non-revenue generating sports. And we've already talked about that. I think when people talk about playing, paying student athletes, that it would cause a shrinking of athletic departments. There's another piece to this that I don't think people pay enough attention to, which are not the subsidies that happen within an athletics department, but the subsidies that happen between athletics departments. So when Ohio State plays a school that is in another conference, they're sort of out of conference opponents, they're making a very large payment to those universities, which helps to fund those athletics departments. Those athletic departments don't have the resources, even in their football programs, that say Ohio State does. So if you're taking resources out of football, you would also be taking resources out of some schools, say in the MAC, 
or some other conferences who now wouldn't get their one or two sort of payday games a year, which really helped them cover the books in terms of their athletic, uh, athletic uh, programs. So if we move in this direction, I think there could be some really negative externalities that people aren't predicting right now if we move in that direction. But we need to put some numbers behind it so we can think about strategizing to prevent those bad things from happening if we do compensate players. I, I had not. I knew that Ohio State's football players were propping up the tennis program and the fencing program and the swimming program. I had forgotten that they're also propping up every MAC football program. So congratulations to the amateurs of the Ohio State football team for funding everything. Nathan, you got another one? I'm just curious if you see. Obviously, you didn't study other things the way you studied football specifically for this but you have a background in, in academia. There's a lot of conversation about are football players just another kind of student um, or they should be treated differently. Do you see any similar effect that you can, that you could study in the top academic students that are brought into university? Is there any gateway for them to create any kind of revenue for the university at large, or does what you've studied kind of put, I guess football and maybe men's basketball, but especially football in a completely different category as far as what it can generate as far as revenue. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at this in the operations side to it, there are things, uh, and I say this, you know, uh, in an administrative role, there are wonderful things that students and particularly high achieving academic students bring to universities. We're very proud at Ohio State of having uh, a recent tradition of Rhodes Scholars, um, which is one of the most prestigious awards any undergraduate can win in the United States. Um, and we've been very successful at that uh, recently. The number of students from Ohio State who win National Science Foundation graduate research fellowships um, to go and study and go into graduate school um, is unprecedented from what we've had uh, in, in recent years. And those are wonderful achievements to have. They do not bring in the resources um, at all on, on a scale that we would see um, with uh, college football players or college basketball players. So among undergraduates, when you think about a revenue source of students who themselves are not you know, paying their own tuition, but are generating revenue for, particularly for the athletics department, they really are unique. We don't have other students who have the ability really to generate that sort of revenue uh, for the university. Um, and that, that is a unique position that these students are, are in. Um, and I also want to say, you know, one piece, uh, getting back to something you mentioned, Doug, you know, there is a third rail here that we haven't talked about, which of course has recently opened up, which is name, image, and likeness, that if players are able to be uh, rewarded for that, that would be one way of moving outside of this model of compensation, but that would obviously be tied to a player's productivity, their notoriety, and presumably then their star power, right? So the best players would be household names. They would be able to generate lots of revenue for themselves. And that would not affect necessarily the revenue of the athletics department. So there are some other ways in which players could receive compensation that would be driven by their own success on the field that wouldn't disturb this, um, this financial relationship that currently exists in college football. Which is a capitalism model that you could certainly apply to you know, again, the, the backup left guard isn't going to be mad that Justin Fields gets a better endorsement than he does. He knows what's up. Just like if the schools paid players, the backup left guard would not be like, hey, why is Justin Fields making 650000 and I'm making nothing? I quit. I, I guarantee you nobody would quit because uh, the quarterback, the star quarterback made more money. 
One thing, so, and we'll let you go, Trevon, here in a second. Did you, were you surprised when you came to this number of a value of $650,000 for a five-star recruit, did you have any preconceived notions coming in of what you thought a possible value was? And I wanted to get, I think this to me is another crux of, of your uh, paper here. The idea that perhaps a five-star recruit is not as valuable to Ohio State because Ohio State has a bunch of them. Whereas if you put Justin Fields as a five-star recruit on Rutgers, man, that dude's probably worth $5 million because he might change so much about the program. That gets to the heart of this whole matter to begin with, which is how much is Ohio State football, Ohio State football, no matter what. So they really don't need to pay players because it's all about the scarlet and gray and the jersey and not the individual guy versus how much an individual guy actually brings value to the program. But also that that the figures that you wound up with, is it what you thought? That's you know, again, feel free to go 30 minutes on the answer to that two-part question that is impossible to deal with. I'll go a, a lot lower <laughs> than 30 minutes on that. Um, but first to your question, so the $650,000 number is looking across all the schools and not controlling for those specific factors I was talking about earlier, that sort of Ohio State effect. When you start controlling for that Ohio State effect, you get down to much more reasonable numbers of like $200,000 for the five-star recruit. And so it still has value. And the reason it has value is in the following. When we look and go through sort of the individual inputs into revenue, the five-star recruit gets you and helps you to win some more games. And what that really helps you to do for a premier program is it doesn't get you to a bowl game, right? Because every year, Ohio State is going to get to a bowl game, right? It's just going to have a winning season. It's going to get to a bowl game. The question is, are they going to make, in a few years ago, the BCS, or now are they going to make it to the playoffs, right? Those are the games that really have a big um, payout. The five-star recruit helps you to get to those games. And those games are particularly important. So if you really want the big bucks, even if you're Ohio State, you do need that five-star recruit to sort of get over that hump. And so that's what we found. And so it does have a value. It's a lot lower than if you look across everyone else. But even for these top programs, it is a value that is not zero. Um, and it's a lot more than $100,000 for these top recruits. And the, the numbers that you came up with in the end, did you have an expectation going in? You know, we really didn't. And, it, and it, because we thought maybe some of this would all go away, as you were saying, when we started to control for some of those factors, right? That Ohio State's a really good program. Alabama gets a disproportionate number of five-star recruits every year. So what would an additional five-star recruit do to Alabama? It probably would help them beat Clemson. I mean, it, you know, they, that, that has how serious this is. And there is something to be said for being able to do that. So this is why there is also, and it also goes back to another question about why are there these intense recruiting battles, right? Because you could think that Ohio State could just sort of put up its flag one year and say, we just give up. We don't need all of, we don't need to go into these intense competitions for these players. But there's a reason why there's an intense competition for these players, because they really are important. That player is that important to helping a team really get over that hump to being a truly premier program uh, among all of the college football programs out there. Nathan, you want to add anything before we go? No, I think that, I think we've covered it. Trevon, did, did, did Gene Smith call you and say, what are you doing to me? You're making it sound like I have to pay uh, Justin Fields $200,000 a year. They didn't try to, to burn your paper, did they? No, they, they did not. Uh, I, I have not talked to, uh, to Gene in a while. <laughs> he does know who I am. Um, but 
thankfully, really, Ohio State has had a very open um, uh, relationship with what we're doing at the Sports and Society um, Initiative. And it's very important to no note that we're talking about revenue. This is not profit. This is not some way of thinking about revenue minus expenses, what we're doing here. And second, um, this is really something that informs a larger debate that is out there and that people have been talking about. And certainly, um, I think it's important to have those numbers out there so that people can have real discussions about this rather than sort of people just saying just so stories and sort of folk tales um, about it. So no, I have not received any pushback uh, from the athletic department, but I haven't checked my email a little bit. So uh, I'll have to keep you, keep you posted. I got to tell you, you're an economics professor. I think you secretly want to be a recruiting writer. I mean, you just dove headfirst in. What do five stars matter? My God, that's all we talk about on this podcast is how much <laughs> recruiting matters. You're just a football guy. I am a, I am a football, uh, I, I am a, a football fan, and in particular, I'm a college football fan. And a couple of years ago, when I first really started getting into writing about college football, I was writing about polls and voting in the polls among the AP pollsters. And at that time, this is more than 10 years ago, everybody was saying that we needed a plus one system, which is now what we have in the college football playoff. And I told them at the time, so I, I am really a prophet, I'm going to say that, and I can say that uh, in this podcast here. I said, we're not going to stop at, at, at a plus one. We're not going to stop at four teams. We're quickly going to go to eight teams because there's going to be a lot of pressure to go to eight teams. And that's just the discussion, and you guys would know better than I do, that's just the discussion everybody wants to have today. And the point I made then, and this is something that I hope you guys will talk about in this coming season, is it's a hard decision to decide who's number four and who's number five. It's a much more difficult decision to decide who's number eight and who's number nine. Do you want to be on the podcast every week and just like talk about it? <laughs> we actually just had that discussion like last week. So Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, if, if it goes to eight or nine, it really is going to be a coin toss. And you're going to have a bunch of teams with the same record. And you're going to have like four or five of them who are going to look observationally equivalent. And then it's just going to be a beauty contest. Uh, I will say it's it's a it's always nice to remind people that Nathan and I – could not be an economics professor, but you could definitely be a college football podcast host. So we have no skills now. It's like, oh, <laughs> this economics guy, he's doing five days a week on Ohio State football now. No, I, I could not do what you guys are doing. It, it, it requires a lot of uh, skills and, and knowledge. And I have to say that the students I work with on this project know much more than I do about college football, and, and they are true Buckeyes. They know much more about the Buckeyes than I do. Well, I think but, it's a really – go ahead, Nathan. I say this study ended before the, the start of the college football playoff. It really covered the BCS years. Are you following forward to see where it goes in, or, or where it has gone, I guess, now in the last few years of, this, of the playoff? Yeah, we certainly can. Uh, we can update all of this uh, data. You know, what we did here was we took all the rivals and scout recruit rankings and used them and matched them to the finances and matched them to the team records. And so we certainly can replicate that. Um, for going forward up to, you know, the, slab, the 2019 season and, and beyond. Because right. obviously the change from two to four teams does change this a little bit, I would assume. I think it changes some of the remuneration that the teams get. Although once again, in the playoffs, the conferences get a lot of money, right? Because remember, there's more there's more, all the conferences have to be into the system. They might not necessarily make the playoff, but they're getting a lot of money just to be to put the team and be eligible to go into that. So it is structured very similar to the BCS in that a lot of the money, and once again, revenue is shared. And these are agreements that are reached by the conferences that contain a whole lot of bowls. Last question to put an economics professor, not exactly on the spot, but after this study with what you know about college football, with your understanding of, of economics, do you imagine that the compensation model 
for college athletes, high profile college athletes will change in some way sooner than later? I think that what we're seeing, and, and let me talk about this under in two dimensions. One of the hidden pieces that I don't think people talk about a lot is that conferences have a lot of latitude in how they treat their student athletes, and in particular in, in, in football. So the Big Ten, and I'm a Big Ten through and through, I'm a Wisconsin undergrad, and so I'm very loyal to this, to this conference. The Big Ten has a tradition of if we recruit you and offer you a scholarship, you have a scholarship. You two know better than I do that that is not the way that the SEC behaves when they cut players and just yank scholarships and, and, and do them in that sort of way. That is one structure that does vary by conference and I think has a real material effect on how players um, have their tenure at institutions and the quality of players that are recruited by particular institutions. And we have to talk about that. There's more variation in the NCAA than people would think. The second aspect that I think people need to talk about is it's a strange thing, and Gene has actually talked about this some, that only in football and basketball, when you transfer, you have to sit out a year. In all of the other NCAA sports, you transfer and you can just immediately start playing. So I don't think that we might, we will see a big change in the compensation model, or the lack of a compensation model in college football. What we may see is the movement to more liberal transferring of student athletes in college football and in men's basketball. And I think that sort of liberalization would not change the financial structure of college football, but it would change what I was talking about earlier, which are the ways that conferences handle students. I guarantee you if players understood their ability to be cut by teams, they would be much more likely to go to a team and stay at a team where that likelihood was zero. And so there are some ways in which moving around some of those strategic advantages might just make student life better for student athletes, but it might be outside of something related to compensation. The NCAA would much rather give them freedom than money. I know that. So it's like, yeah, you can change schools. We're not going to pay you though. Um, all right. Trevon Logan, he's an economics professor. He's the associate dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Ohio State. He is recruiting guru. He is a college football genius, and he is a future co-host of the Buckeye Talk podcast. So um, we'll work out that compensation I mean, we don't really make any money off this anyway. So if you just want to like sit around and talk football five days a week, let us know. Um, <laughs> but if you got like, if you have bigger like economics things to do, that's cool. You know, I, I'll talk recruiting because I know the Buckeyes have, you know, they haven't had a number one class and it looks like they might have one uh, this year. We'll see. Yeah, they just got their 17th commit for 2021. So, mm -hmm. all right, next time. And, and if you ever need us to come into your class and talk about like economics, Nathan and I would be happy to do that to return the favor. No, no, we, we really do. We have a lot of students interested in sports journalism and a lot of students interested in um, how people make careers of this. And th they would love to hear from you. We'd love to have you down uh, for a huddle. Some yeah. cautionary tales. We can definitely impart some. <laughs> that, but, you know, it, it, minimizing that uncertainty for the young people is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how we make a career from this. So, uh, yeah, we'd be happy to share that. Trevon, thanks so much for your time. Um, really interesting work on the paper. And I think in the end, right, there's not an answer for sure in here. There is some really valuable information to more to inform what is often a very vague discussion. People have very, I think, staunch opinions on both sides of this, but there is not often a lot of numbers to fall back on as you form your opinions. And I think putting something like this out into the world greatly enhances the depth 
and the knowledge of the discussion that people are having constantly. Yes, exactly. That I want to inform the debate so that people are dealing with the same set of facts. Well, thank you for, uh, very much for joining us on Buckeye Talk. Uh, good luck with uh, whatever project you have next. And um, yeah, we'll have you back on for signing day. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks to Trevon Logan for that. I thought it was interesting. I thought it got, Nathan, a, a little, you know, money-ish sometimes. But I do feel like it's a contribution to help us understand this discussion a little better, right? Well, yeah, and that's why I asked him the question because they said it in the release that came out that this was the, – the, the kernel that started all this was an attempt to bring more information to the idea of compensating athletes, compensating football players specifically. So I thought that had to be introduced. Now, whether you feel like this clears it up or whether you feel like it makes it more complicated, I, I suppose depends on your perspective a little bit. But I, I do think it was important to also lay out – I think it adds further evidence to dispel this notion that uh, – kind of the amateurism notion, right? That there is no difference between a, a football player or a basketball player and either another athlete or another student at the university who's also contributing things to the university. There is an income situation here that is different. Um, you, there, it's, it is more complicated. I agree with him on that, that it's more, and I think or maybe you said it, that it's more complicated than, than people sometimes um, want to let it be. But it's also impossible to dismiss that side, that, that there is a, a huge revenue creation here. Certain people are getting enriched by it. Why aren't the players more enriched by it? And I did think it was interesting, again, to, to go over it, and I sort of misstated it in my question to him, that like they have this $650,000 number that a five-star brings in in revenue, but then when they adjust for schools, when you think about the schools that have more five-stars, it actually goes down. That Ohio State, as he said, is more like a $200,000 right. um, contribution. The, the thing in the end, Nathan, and we can end with this, because I know some people think this inter is interesting. Some people have like no interest in this. It'll work itself out, whatever. Let's play the games. And I respect that too. We're not economists, is that conversation proved. The idea of like, it's so complicated. If you ever decided to pay players, it would like create friction in the locker room. How would you structure it? And I'm not saying this about Trevon because like, he's an economist. He's an academic. He's not a hot take podcast host like we are. I think that's a cop out. Like yeah. they, other sports already have scholarships they divide up. Somebody gets three quarters of a scholarship. Somebody gets a quarter of a scholarship. Every professional team in the world has people paid different amounts. I think that is a – I think that's something that people who don't want to change throw out there when it actually to me is not an impediment at all. Exactly. If you think, if you think that that really is a problem, then you need to um, go to a baseball program or a similar program where somebody could potentially be on a full scholarship. And then this other guy over here is getting a quarter scholarship or less. Um, and they're, they compete on the same team. I mean, if you think that actually is going to be a problem in the locker room or whatever, I also don't understand. You brought up the very good point that, oh, well, if you pay players all the same, even though they, even though they achieve at different levels, that's going to create some kind of resentment. Well, that's the, that's, then you shouldn't give them scholarships at all because that's the system we have right now. Everybody gets the same scholarship no matter what they're studying and no matter what they do for the football team. So, no, I, I agree. I think that is also a cop-out. I don't think that's giving people enough credit. I think it's also just kind of a red herring um, for people who want to kind of just conjure things out of the air to, again, deflect from the very real, the very real um, 
circumstances that are just kind of staring them in the face. And the idea that like, hey, there were former players on the panel and all the former players said don't pay the players, those are old players then. Because let's go have a conversation with Jordan right. Fuller or Austin Mack or anybody on the current teams. Nobody thinks that anymore. And it's it's a, it's a that thought process has evolved even in just the last five years, I think. Go go ask Joe Burrow if college football players should be compensated or not. Like that's old thinking. And I know that some fans have old thinking, some media have old thinking, some former players have old thinking. I'm telling you, current players, that is not where most of them are, and that has changed over the years. So interesting conversation. I do appreciate a study like this adding numbers to what, again, what can be a very difficult discussion. So we appreciate um, Trevon Logan joining us for that. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Big Wednesday pod coming up this week, as usual. NFL draft right around the corner. Uh, Thanks for sticking with Buckeye Talk five days a week. Drop a review uh, at Apple Podcasts. Keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU. And again, tech subscribers, if you want to be a friend of the pod, 614-350-3315. Uh, So for Nathan, I'm Doug. Steven will be back soon. Thanks again for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. Mm -hmm.